0: what can you expect from an experienced financial advisor are all advisors alike and will the right advisor really make a positive difference your financial journey is a podcast brought to you by providence wealth advisors llc a wholly owned affiliate of providence bank and trust in this series members of the pwa team discuss the importance of planning relevant developments, and investment strategies geared to help you achieve your wealth management goals and to provide you with experience, guidance, and support every step of the way.
1: Hello, my name is Doug DeGroat, and on behalf of Providence Bank and Trust and Providence Wealth Advisors, or PWA, I would like to welcome you to our podcast, Your Financial Journey. Today, we're discussing some of the key current issues that we see occurring in the economy and where we see things headed from here. Let's start with the current investment environment in 2020. During the first quarter, equity market highs were reached in January, with the Dow Jones Industrial Average, which is the most quoted market index, eclipsing 29,000 for the first time ever. We had historic low unemployment, with the unemployment rate bouncing around in the 3% range. Interest rates were reasonable, with the 10-year Treasury which is the most widely watched benchmark, bouncing around the high ones to 2% range. It seemed as if everything was clicking for the US economy and there was nothing foreseen to stop the continued economic growth and prosperity the country was realizing. Then COVID-19 came to the United States. There were news in January about the virus occurring in China, but as a general comment, I do not think anyone fully appreciated the effect it might have on our country and the world at that time. So by February, it became apparent that it was here in the U.S. as initial cases started being reported throughout the country and very quickly, the virus appeared to be spreading everywhere. So what happened financially? The market reaction was a 20% plus equity market sell off by March 23rd, which occurred in about a six week time period. Equity markets, as well as bond markets, hate uncertainty, and COVID-19 was about as uncertain as you can get. Probably a bigger stumbling block for the financial markets at that time was the bond market began freezing up. There were no bids for issues. Price declines were occurring in all bond issues, and as a result, there were substantial discounts if you wanted to sell a bond issue at that time. Bonds are typically considered a very conservative investment with limited volatility, so what was occurring within the bond market was very unsettling for investors. Basically, we were experiencing a freeze-up of the financial markets because of the unknowns associated with COVID-19. The overall market reaction was swift, dramatic, and scary for both the bond and equity markets. Our investment committee meets weekly, and our meetings during the February-March time period were quite involved as we discussed at length what we felt was occurring within the markets and a strategy to deal with the economic events unfolding before us. After much debate, we adopted a strategy during this time, which was to try to do nothing. We were trying not to react to emotion, but rather known facts, and there just was not enough confirmed or known information about COVID-19. It truly was the great unknown. Many of us within PWA have been through crises like these before, such as Gulf War I, Gulf War II, the long-term capital crisis, the dot-com bust of 2000, 9-11, and the Great Recession of 2008, just to name a few. And in all of those crises, the best advice was to do nothing and hold quality investment positions for the long term. Sometimes, the best strategy is to adjust, but certainly not to panic just because everyone else is. And as we all know, it can be very difficult to just sit and watch market declines in a portfolio. However, it can be just as hard selling and determining when is the right time to get back in. Many investors who sold in the Great Recession of 2007 to 2009 never could make that decision, and in turn, missed out on some significant market appreciation. So with the markets unraveling daily, then what happened? We had decisive and dramatic government action. And believe it or not, there was some agreement between political parties. We had fiscal stimulus by the U.S. government. That stimulus included $600 per week, extra unemployment benefits for those that experienced a job loss. The Payroll Protection Plan, PPP, was rolled out. As an example, Providence Bank and Trust was involved in that program. Just within our bank group, we processed over $100 million of PPP loans. These loans went directly to businesses to help cover payroll due to lack of income from being shut down as the pandemic was evolving and the government had ordered businesses to shut down. In many cases, these loans were guaranteed and backed by the U.S. government with no business payback necessary. Before you knew it, we had $3 trillion in government spending occur within a very short period of time. The Federal Reserve, or Fed, began the unusual and unprecedented strategy of purchases for corporate bonds, municipal bonds, and government bonds. And through these programs, they created liquidity and an underlying bid for these bond securities. This bond stabilization was very beneficial to the markets. During this time, they also incorporated a zero interest rate policy, bringing interest rates down to what we think were unthinkable levels. Our group felt interest rates were low before the crisis. We underestimated how low they could actually go. As an example, today, deposit rates at banks are at the lowest levels in history. Our highest yielding product today at Providence Bank and Trust is 0.15%. Conversely, however, as a borrower, mortgage rates are at historic lows, with the 30-year mortgage today currently yielding in the 2.75% range. I'm not sure I'd want to be on the other side of that trade, which would mean you are anticipating interest rates to remain at these levels for a very long period of time. So what was the result in the second and third quarter from these government actions? We had a significant rebound in the financial markets. Equity markets, which were down over 20%, are now flat to up depending on which index you follow. The technology sector has been the driver during this time, which is now up 20% on the year. The focus has been on stay-at-home economy stocks. What does that mean? How can people work, shop, and play from home, and which companies are benefiting by those trends? Examples being shopping online, food delivery, home entertainment, and even home improvement. Perhaps the key issue from our group is what happened during the second and third quarter was interest rates declining to basically zero, as well as the government stimulus response and all the Fed liquidity that was provided. As unforeseen as COVID-19 was, the responses were also as unforeseen when the crisis began and ultimately beneficial to the economy and, in turn, the financial markets. So, in summarizing, what happened in 2020 to date, which, by the way, what happened was very unique to have all these various business cycles in such a short period of time, but basically we had a good economy and financial markets, followed by COVID-19, followed by recession, perhaps the shortest ever on record, followed by tremendous Fed action and U.S. government stimulus, which in turn resulted in a rebounding economy and rebounding financial markets. I'd be remiss to not note that the rebound has not occurred for all businesses. Certainly the larger ones, but small businesses continue to suffer. Technology's been a winner. As an example, online shopping or online gambling, just to name a few, while restaurants, movie theaters, or really anywhere where crowds gather have unfortunately been losers. What are the issues that we see that are going to affect where we go from here? COVID, COVID, COVID. We need a vaccine or some type of treatment that will avoid death as an outcome if you catch the virus. This would be a tremendous benefit for the economy and of course society as a whole. This would also allow the world to return to some normalcy. Work, school, social events, travel as examples and the businesses that are affected by each of those areas. Just think of work, school lunches, work clothing, school supplies, weddings, birthdays, air travel, cruises, even funerals. We need businesses that are associated with those industries to be able to fully reopen and prosper. The Fed, they just announced lower interest rates for years this should be very accommodative to the economy and borrowing more stimulus from the government. Our political parties are debating that right now, but we would assume something will be done in some form this year, whether before or after the election. Unfortunately, this now appears to have become a political issue. Unemployment levels have been ticking down. Will that continue from the highs that we reached in March and April? Currently, there remains approximately 11 million of our fellow Americans unemployed, many whose jobs might never come back. They need some kind of help in this transition of employment trends. Finally, we have the upcoming U.S. election and what that may mean for us specifically. As we all know, there's a presidential election. There are vast differences between the candidates' positions economically. There's the potential for a blue wave and there's even the talk of a potential for a red wave. Regardless of your political leanings, there are going to be ramifications depending on how these scenarios play out. Perhaps the biggest variable of all of these being tax policy. Corporate tax rates, which are very important to the financial markets and how equities are priced. The US had one of the highest corporate tax rates in the world before they were changed in 2017. The reduction in those tax rates that occurred at that time benefited equity valuations as companies in turn got to keep more of what they earned, which resulted in higher equity valuations. Those rates may now be adjusted upward depending on the election outcome. Along with tax rates, there will be other economic adjustments to the system based upon future government economic policy and the results of the election. Examples would be such as the more or less government stimulus, a Green New Deal, or a minimum wage hike, just to name a few. So what is our strategy and what is our rationale in our strategies in managing accounts given all of the issues that we just discussed? Let's start with fixed income investments. As a general comment, we have been tilting our portfolios to the short end of the yield curve. We've done some slight allocations to the intermediate long-term areas, but those are predominantly through bond funds that we can move out of quickly if we feel warranted. You are just not being rewarded for extending maturities at this time. Typically, you'd get some kind of premium for extending the length of a bond maturity. As interest rates decline, the price of bonds go up in value. However, our concern remains if interest rates increase, the price of bonds decline in value. Many of you know, I have said for 20 years, interest rates cannot get any lower. I was wrong. However, given that interest rates are now at basically zero, and I don't believe we're going to go to negative interest rates, like some parts of the world, and our country appears on a path of enhanced stimulus spending as well as deficits, I think I finally might actually be right. Interest rates cannot go any lower. Typically, greater deficits, and total government debt at some point will mean higher interest rates. Let's move on to equities. We have and continue to focus on the value dividend sectors this year, at least for now, that has not performed as we would have hoped. The technology sector has been the driver in the equity markets, as I noted earlier. However, The disparity between these sectors has never been wider, and we do not feel that technology can continue to substantially outpace the value and dividend sectors. We have discussed this at length within our investment committee, with many of us living through the dot-com bust of 2000. And while we are allocated to various technology stocks and technology funds, we do not feel it would be a prudent time to tilt portfolios entirely to this sector. We do not want to chase return just for the sake of chasing return. There is risk associated with return. Dividends offer current income, downside protection for that security, and prospects for long-term growth with increased equity values. The current phrase we often hear is, it is different this time. And our response is, it is different until it is no longer different. What does that mean? Valuations do come into play, Stocks are valued by earnings and growth, and this relationship still exists, regardless of what you may hear from some individual on CNBC or Fox Business News. For those of you that remember the dot-com bust of 2000, the technology sector sold off 50% in 2000, and it took a number of years to recover. Technology is important, but it is not the only asset class for a portfolio. Finally let's talk about alternative investments, which would mean things like real estate or precious metals. We have slowly been building potential gold positions in portfolios using the gold ETF. We have never been gold bugs at Providence Wealth Advisors as there is no income stream associated with holding gold. And as I mentioned, most of our clients need some type of income stream. However, government spending could be leading to longer term inflationary trends. And given our current interest rate environment, gold would appear to offer a nice alternative to bonds at these levels and a potential inflation hedge. This is something our investment committee is monitoring closely, and it continues to be an evolving strategy within our group. How can PWA help? As I explained in March, we adopted a strategy of do nothing. Sometimes it is good to try to have someone that will not react emotionally that has some longevity in the industry and has experienced similar financial events in the past. This helps in trying to make rational, prudent investment decisions in difficult times. We create customized investment strategies considering your individual goals and individual risk parameters. Risk is the key. We are constantly discussing risks that can affect markets at our investment committee. It is easy to chase momentum and look at stocks that are driving higher daily. It is much harder to to limit your emotions and just follow the herd for the sake of chasing return without thinking about risk. We focus on the long-term as I noted before and not just the day-by-day activities of the market. And we don't just chase the hot sectors as I noted in the case of technology. As I noted, we focus on risk reduction which includes always trying to diversify our portfolios. You have the potential to give up return when you diversify, but you also have the potential to avoid loss. What does that mean? Many of you have heard of Tesla, the electric car maker. That stock has moved from $43 a share to $450 a share over the past year. An incredible run. And had you had all your funds in Tesla, you would be a very happy investor in that company. We could debate market valuation of the company, but that's really irrelevant for this example. The stock's been a winner, period. General Electric was the winner in the 90s. The stock consistently provided growth along with an attractive dividend. It was always the cornerstone of any investment portfolio. It provided income and growth. Then what happened? The stock fell from $60 in 2000 to $6 today. Had you had all your funds in GE over the past 20 years, you would find yourselves a very disappointed investor. We feel we can assist in that diversification process and avoid the emotion and properly structure a portfolio. Finally, you need to be able to contact someone at any time to discuss your financial matters and personal situation and be comfortable with that person. Given our diverse group, I feel there's always someone within our group that clicks with a client. And believe it or not, we actually pick up the phone, call people back, and even provide our cell numbers to clients so they can reach out on a weekend or evening if ever needed. Thank you for listening today. And if you'd ever like to reach out to PWA, you can do so via our website at www.providencewealth.com, or you can contact our group via phone at 888-927-7387. For our clients, Thank you again for your business. And if you're not a client, we would love to discuss how we might be able to assist you and your financial management needs. Have a great day. And in closing, God bless America.
0: Providence Wealth Advisors LLC or PWA is a wholly owned affiliate of Providence Bank & Trust or PB&T. The investment products and services offered by PWA are independent of the products and services offered by PB&T and are not FDIC insured, may lose value, are not bank guaranteed and are not insured by any federal or state government agency. Investment products and services are offered by appropriately licensed investment advisor representatives subject to the general oversight and authority of PWA. PWA is an SEC-registered investment advisor company. To obtain a copy of their ADV Part 2A and Form CRS, visit www.providencewealth.com. PWA is located throughout the Chicagoland area and northwest Indiana. To contact PWA, call 888-927-7387, email askexperts at providencewealth.com, or write to 20220 South LaGrange Road, Frankfort, Illinois 60423.